Welcome to the Awaken the Awesome podcast with your host, Uriyidi. This is Awaken the Awesome, a podcast where we take a moment to acknowledge that we are all in this together. Through enlightening conversations and personal insights, we like to connect with individuals just like you who show us how they are bringing a little bit of awesomeness in their individual journeys. Our hope is to encourage you to always keep pushing and to stay awesome along the way. You would think I'd be used to this by now, but I'd be lying if I told you that were the case. Sometimes you take a step back after a recording and you have to take it in and ask yourself, did that really happen? I've been a fan of my next guest's work and craft for over 10 years, and he has quite honestly been one of my podcasting and photography heroes. Indeed, a lot of the effort I've put into this very podcast you're listening to have been in many ways inspired by him, and he certainly has the track record to show for it. With over 25 years of experience in the photographic industry, Ibarian X Pereo is the author of six successful books, including Chasing the Light, Improving Your Photography Using Available Light, and his latest, Making Photographs, Developing a Personal Visual Workflow. As a podcaster, he is the producer and host of the wildly popular The Candid Frame podcast which he has been producing and hosting for 13 years as of this recording. After nearly 500 episodes, his dedication and exemplary consistency have made this podcast a staple among photography circles. As a remarkable photographer, his photographs and articles have appeared in numerous publications and websites, including Digital Photo Pro, Outdoor Photographer, Rangefinder, and Popular Photography, just to name a few. As an educator, he is a course instructor at the Los Angeles Center of Photography, where he holds regular workshops on street photography. With a sense of genuine warmth and kindness, Ibarionex shared his personal insights on dedication, consistency, doing the work, not buying into your own hype, his recent diagnosis with ADHD, and so much more. What's it like to meet your heroes? Thanks to a delightful combination of intent, action, preparation, and opportunity, I got to find out. This one was a very personal victory for me, in more ways than one, and yet another amazing conversation, which I do hope you'll enjoy. So let's get into this. Awaken the Awesome, episode 101, with Ibarian X Pereo. Here we go. In all honesty, because again, I did try to think, okay, what can I possibly say to a guy who's been doing this for 13 years and everything? And you know what? I just took a step back leading up to this conversation because, you know, we connected, you know, and we took this appointment a really long time ago. So I'm like, why is he your hero? Why is it? Because I know you probably don't want to hear this because, you know, because with my exposure to your personality and all your various interviews over the past, you know, 10 plus years, I realized that, you know, you're very humble, a very warm, kind, you know, generous person. So you probably don't want to hear that. You know what? I really, 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 really respect everything that you've done uh, with, you know, with your craft and your teaching and, you know, just opening up, you know, so many opportunities for up and coming as well as, you know, established photographers, you know, with the Candid Frame podcast. But for me, I really went back to the basics. It was like, um, and it was so funny. I know people that are listening to this on audio probably don't see, but does it mean anything to you? Oh, man, you can't. <laughs> I genuinely, genuinely, genuinely uh, resonated with this because uh, I'm holding up uh, Ibarian X's uh, book called Chasing the Light, uh, Improving Your Photography with Available Light. And why this story is so important is because uh, when I first came to Montreal, again, you know, with college and college books being so expensive and living alone in a one-bedroom apartment, you know, you try to, you know, minimize costs as best as you can. Mm -hmm. And at the time, my wife had given me a camera 
and uh, I was a Nikon D80 at the time. And um, what was fun about it is like, okay, you want to make good photographs, you want to learn the craft and everything, and you know, listening to all your interviews and learning as much as you can, you know, learning about your subjects and being present and analyzing and using the available light. And I couldn't afford a flash. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, what can I do? And it just so happens that you put out this book. And all this to say, guys, and anybody listen, listening to this, if anyone would have told me, you know, leading up from this book would actually published in uh, 2011, uh, you started a Canon frame, I believe in 2000, when was it? 2006, 2006, yeah. 2006. Cause the first episode was February 15, 2006. And 10 years down the road, if I would be sitting across, you know, virtually at least to one of my photography and podcasting heroes, I would not believe you. And I believe that's one of the messages I want to push out and open the conversation with, you know, you never know where life will take you, but stay committed to your journey and your purpose and your truth. And you never know what the adventures are going to reveal. So opening up again, thank you uh, for being on the podcast. And it's a pleasure to welcome you, sir. Oh, thank you, man. I feel very flattered and honored. And you're right. I don't take uh, compliments very easily. My wife has been sort of trying to get, trying to get over that, but I embrace it a lot more than I, um, than I used to. So I, I, uh, I really take it to heart, especially your sincerity uh, about it. It's really nice to know that, you know, the work that I, that I've done both in terms of the podcast and the book have resonated with you and with, you know, so many other people. It really means a lot. It means yeah, a lot. Definitely. I have to say, and you know, my wife sometimes like, you know, knocks me inside of the head for that. I sort of been a little bit lazy on the photography side, obviously with life and everything happening, but you know, I still try to get out with the camera from time to time. Cause you always keep preaching, like, you know, take your camera everywhere you go, try to stay curious, go out there. But I have to admit, I've been a bit lazy, but um, just talking about that, you know, with all this legacy, 13 plus years, what does that say about, um, because I'm very big about not, about authenticity. That's the word I want to bring up. You know, just saying you can't put in 13 years of your life to something that you're not passionate about. And I just wondered, did you believe, did you actually envision it going so far? Well, I, I knew in some nebulous way that it would be successful, but I didn't define what that would be. I just knew that if I created it, that there would people, there would be people there who would listen to it and were kind of hungry for it, largely because I was hungry for it. I wanted to hear conversations like like this, and I really wasn't hearing it when I started listening to podcasts back in in 2005. There were other podcasts out there, but largely they were dedicated to you know equipment and technique. There would be the occasional interview, but I I would often be frustrated by. Uh, a question that was posed and the photographer would answer it and then would move on to another question. I went, wait, 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 <laughs> wait, I want to know up. more. Yeah. Follow up with something else. They just said something really interesting. So I just felt, well, if no one else is doing it. Let me try and figure it out because I, I had interview skills in my role as a writer and an editor for photo magazines. And I, just because of my career up to that point, I knew a lot of photographers. So I just needed to figure out, how to produce a podcast, how to create a blog. And I think just the idea that I knew that it would be quote unquote successful um, helped me to get over those initial humps. But I don't think I could have envisioned that I would still be doing it 13 years. I, I, I really didn't even think about it. I was just thinking about what the very next thing was. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I, I haven't really, I had no grand scheme about the whole thing. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I know other people have, have done, you know, uh, a lot of things after their podcasts and, you know, and sort of launched it as a means for them to earn an income and mm-hmm. all that other stuff. And largely for me, I have not leveraged it in that way. And, uh, you know, sometimes I, I regret not doing it, but there are other times it's like, well, I like what I'm doing. Do I really want to, you know, dedicate my energy to other things in order to build on it? And it's like, I'm just fine sitting down with somebody for an hour and just talking, talking shop. The only challenge is trying to find the means to sustain it, not only in terms of time, and but money. There you go. There you go. Um, it's definitely something. And you speak on that in terms of uh, patience. And because sometimes it's not easy. You're talking to a guy with a wife, two kids, a mortgage and a full time job. But mm-hmm. uh, sometimes, you know, there are those moments where you just have to ask yourself, what am I doing? It's like, why, why am I doing this? Am I, am I a sucker for punishment? But yeah. there is that consistency and that, that, um, that audacity, you know, that, that wanting to just make something happen to create that's, that's the gen, that's the fuel behind it. Sometimes it is selfish. You use that word in the very first episode. You really mm-hmm. did. Cause yes, I did. I did do my research before, before recording this. You got to stay professional, but you did mention that in the very first episode. And it really humbled me. The fact that you just come out with it. Like, listen, there are other podcasts out there and you're free to go listen, but this is a work in progress. I apologize for the crappy audio. I'm going to learn to use this technology. And you spoke on that in terms of trusting the process and just getting out there. It can't be perfect. And I wonder if you could speak on that in terms of sometimes that we get so um, afraid to put ourselves out there and just learn along the way. We so want to be perfect. And I was wondering if you could just speak on that just to, you know, address the, these fears and these insecurities that we often have to live with. You make me want to listen to that first episode. I have not listened to it since I released it. It's, it, it's a gem. It's a gem. It's a gem oh. because you really come out with such an earnest and frank humility about it. And you actually just tell it to the listeners like, welcome. This is an adventure. This is what's going to happen. I'm learning along the way. This is going to be, I'm, there are going to be some bumps and bruises, but if you trust me and you, you're, you, you're, you're generous enough to stay patient, I'm going to try to learn this and we're going to try to do better. And you do say it, local photographers in my area, in the country or around the world. I'm like, you have no idea where this is going to go. <laughs> That's funny. I think, I think part of it was the fact that there was really very little to compare myself to back in 2006. Mm-hmm. That, I didn't have examples of quote unquote great podcasters in my genre that I was had to emulate myself that I really had to sort of compete with because I was creating something that I felt was very unique unto itself. It hadn't been done yet, at least in this, in this particular format. Mm -hmm. So I think that freed me from the perils of comparison, you know, and someone said that uh, comparison is the thief of joy and I think oh, wow. that's very apt because when it comes to like photography, for example, there's, there's no shortage of people that I could compare myself to. And, and doing the podcast learned, taught me that that comparison of where I am relative to somebody else, the quality of my work compared to somebody else, that that comparison uh, does a disservice to me whenever I do it. Really? Because I'm only as good as I can be at that particular moment. But as long as I'm putting in the work, I'll get better. And that, you know, if I look at someone's work who's doing stuff that I'm not doing or that I'm striving for, 
that I can take that as a point of inspiration and also a point of education. But ultimately, it's going to come down to me going on there and making it happen. And with the podcast, there are so many mistakes I made along the way. Really? Oh, oh yeah. It just In terms of learning the audio, I was playing around with things, trying to make it sound better and not having any clue about audio engineering or nothing like that. So the audio quality would just like very fairly widely. I made mistakes like not turning on the recorder, you know, when I was uh, um, uh, doing an interview or, or not having a backup or not saving my backups and, oh, wow. you know, any, any, you know, you name it in terms of anything that can go wrong with the podcast, I've probably done it. You know, I've had to do interviews over again because oh, wow. some, some problem I probably have had to do that like maybe five, six, maybe even seven times. And, um, you know, you just, you just roll with that. I don't beat myself up. I beat myself up a little for it when it does happen, but you know, from most of it, it's just about this is, that's just part of the process. It's not about achieving a sense of perfection. It isn't, it's about, you know, embracing the wins and the failures, you know, all of that's, that's part of being, a creative of any sort. If you always think that you're going to hit a home run every time you get up to plate, mm-hmm. you probably won't even get to first. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. And, you know, whether it be whatever creative field, and, you know, we can even broaden the scope in terms of just trying, as you put it, just trying to do better. If we just focus on the task at hand and try to just execute on the basics and then we build from there, and then mm-hmm. we build from there and then we build from there. I make no, uh, I make no apologies about it. You know, I've made mistakes along these recordings as well. And, you know, sometimes and I beat myself up over the audio and you get obsessive about it. It's like, you know, you're only as good as the previous, as, the, as this episode. And then how can we build from there? How can we build yeah. from there? But it's about, as you put it, it's about accepting that you are a work in progress and you're not going to hit a wrong home run any, anytime. And it's exhausting to attempt to, that would be, that'd be foolish. And uh, I really want to thank you for that. Um, I want to go back to, because you, obviously you've done previous you know, interviews with that, but I really got curious as I was taking notes. You talked about you know, how the Boys and Girls Club was where it all started. Mm-hmm. And just trying to flip the question a little bit, what would have happened if you've never showed up to the Boys and Girls Club? Oh, my God. Imagine. I have no idea what would happen to me. Probably not, not much good, I don't think. Um, you know, I was in theater in high school, and, you know, I was thinking about, you know, being an actor, but soon after I got out of high school, I realized I really didn't have, you know, the, my heart into doing everything that I would need to do in order to be a working actor in any mm-hmm. sort. Uh, I probably would have just, I probably would have just meandered from, you know, mediocre job to me- mediocre job, just trying to earn a living, keeping a roof over my head. If I didn't have that, I I don't know that I would have had the clarity or the uh, the the passion that the kind of passion that would lead to a kind of clarity in terms of the general direction I wanted to go to. So I think I probably would have meandered through life, and maybe I would have been lucky enough to find something. But considering the way the the world works, most times I see so many people who don't. So I probably would just been one of those other people who would like dabble in this and dabble in that and got married and suddenly have kids. And all of a sudden you're just like 
having to sustain a family and, and, and always longing for something more meaningful in life. So, and I think that's, this, unfortunately, the, the story of so many, so many people. So I think I just would have been one of the many. <laughs> I would like to think otherwise, but to be, if I'm being completely honest, considering who I was at that time when I was younger, more than likely that's probably what would have happened. What would have happened. What was it like growing up at that point? Um, it was, it was interesting. I was growing up in South LA. My parents were both immigrants from the Dominican Republic. Um, by the time I joined the club, I was pretty much a kid in isolation. I would watch television. I would go to the library and just like immerse myself in books and stories. I wasn't really social with the other kids at school and in the neighborhood. We might play baseball, you know, out on the street or something like that. But I really couldn't say that I had a best friend or any or a group of guys that I hung out with. But when I joined the boys club, it gave me a level of interaction with other people my age, which was fun. I, you know, got really good at foosball, table soccer, and and pool. And then when photography was introduced to me by one of the counselors, I really kind of thrived in there. So I think having that really was sort of... Uh, a lifesaver for me in, in, in many ways. It, personally, I think it helped, helped me uh, just not be so isolated in okay. a degree because I think uh, through junior high school, high school, even some parts of college, I really had difficulty in terms of socializing with people unless I had a structure uh, through which I was interacting with people, like when I was working on the school newspaper or was working on the uh, on, on theater productions or something like that. If I had a structure, then I had a dynamic that allowed me to have relationships with people. But outside okay. of that, I was really kind of clueless. So it was kind of natural for me to see photography and see the camera as the means of being able to connect to other people. Okay. Because left with no other devices, I really didn't know where to where to start. Does that come from a personal shyness or insecurity, or did you ever try to? Just I, think look into I think it's all. I think it's all that. You know, self esteem is probably a big part of it, uh, and just just lacking the skill set in terms of, you know, how how do you be a friend? You know, and, and part of it was like that because I was so isolated and I felt very vulnerable. I always keep things very close to my vest and only later do I realize that the way you make friends is by being open, mm-hmm. you know, by making yourself vulnerable, by making other people's concerns of interest to you and showing, and showing that you do care uh, about them. But because I was so guarded and was constantly sort of in fear of being ridiculed, ridiculed or humiliated, I really wasn't skilled. I didn't develop the skills that's required to be, a good friend to somebody. Okay. You know, I was always very obsessively self-conscious and that makes it very difficult because you're every, every, every minute you're thinking about what you say or what you're going to do, how it's going to, how someone else is going to react to it. And so you're constantly, you're constantly in your own thoughts and you're not in the moment. You're always analyzing. Yeah. And I think people sort of sense, sense that. Do you think that if you're just looking outward in, um, do you believe that we've evolved? Do you believe that you've evolved? You've made some progress. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not like that uh, anymore. Part of it's getting older. 
So, and one of the things I was talking to a friend of mine is, uh, you know, you don't give an F anymore about what other people think. <laughs> it's like, okay. I mean, it's still there, but it doesn't influence me to the degree it did in the past. It's like, well, people are going to like my work, but some people are not going to like my work. Some people are going to like me. Some people are not going to like me. Some people are going to be completely indifferent to me. It is what it is. You know, I don't have to, I don't have to please everybody in the room. And before, if there were a hundred people in the room and there was one person who didn't like me or didn't like my work, I would be obsessed about that one person, ignoring the other 99 people in the room. It's crazy. In this age of comparison and just overexposure of every single aspect of our lives, I believe there's so much anxiety going on. And thank you so much for speaking on this, this thing that I'm trying to teach my kids, which is about acceptance. You're not going to please everybody. You cannot be everybody's friend because guess what? Everybody's different. And I really want to thank you for speaking on that because, you know, whether it's through our photography, trying to create work, you know, because we want, we want our work to be shown, but at the same time, we want our work to matter to us, you know, and I believe there's a lot of that anxiety going on, you know, it's, it's a very, 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 very humbling thing that you just put out. So I really want people to resonate with this in terms of you are where you're supposed to be and accept who you are and build from there. But you need to, first of all, accept yourself. And, yeah. you know, it's a very powerful thing. Um, talking about that, you know, because again, with all the acknowledgement and all the accolades, because again, you can't even think of a single, you know, top 10 or top five photography podcast and your camera frame always keeps coming up. How do you stay humble with so many achievements? Because again, you are a name of the game right now. You are, you don't want to hear it, but you, I, yeah. how do you stay humble? You know, I, I have no real sense of that. Um, people tell me that and I go, Oh, that's cool. And then I just, I got so much stuff to keep me busy. I really don't get to in sort of indulge in that. You don't. So no, I mean, it just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't fit into what my day to day. So it's like every time I get up in the morning, I got to walk the dog, I take out the garbage, you know, make a cup of coffee get to work, you know, just the normal stuff in life. You know, it's not like I sometimes joke with my wife. It's mm -hmm. like, you're sitting here with a published author, baby. <laughs> <laughs> she, she just goes, yeah. Okay. And I say it sort of jokingly because she knows, you know, it's just my way of sort of ribbing her, but that, that's about the extent of my, you know, being in that space. And back when I was younger, I wanted something that, that, um, that kind of thing that would make interacting with people easier. You know, you think like, for example, fame, you get fame, it'll be easier to get to know people because they're going to want to know you. Mm -hmm. sort of thing. And now it's kind of like when people recognize me or, or they approach me about the show, I'm just, I'm just flattered that to have them as a listener, you know, and, and just pleased with what I do. Um, has helped people, you know, in some cases, people have told me how much I've changed their lives. And it's like, that's very, very humbling to think that something that I do in my garage is making that kind of difference is really, um, is not something I take for granted. So it's, you know, as much as people think it may like feed my ego, uh, I have things that always keep me in check here, including a wife I've been married to for 26 years who doesn't oh, wow. Who doesn't hesitate to check my ego? <laughs> <laughs> oh, got it. You have to. You have to acknowledge your wives. My my, oh, yeah. my wife is all the same because we we just celebrated ten years or so. We've been together for sixteen, but we just celebrated ten years of marriage. And you know, sometimes thank you so much. 
And you, you can't acknowledge, even though, you know, I'm sure that you experienced this as well. Like, okay, the Candace frame is your baby, but you, you'd be pompous to believe that, you know, you did this all yourself. And this, oh, yeah, no and way. The, the people you surround yourself with is important. You know, your, your, your peers and the people who, who keep you in check, as you say. And that matters a lot because a lot of people, you talk about that. A lot of people isolate themselves thinking that you have to go it through yourself, but you don't, you know, and it's, yeah. uh, it's a terrific thing to actually acknowledge the fact that, you know what, along your journey, you can, it, there's no shame in asking for help. You have to, you have to, because it's like you save yourself a lot of grief by just admitting that you don't know something or you don't know how to do something and you could do with some help from somebody else. You, you, you just have to, this, this, there's twisted, twisted thinking. If you think you have to figure it out on your own, because as, as, as creatures, as animals, we were never designed to do that. But, you know, at least in America, I can't speak for anywhere else. This the ideal of the idealistic loner right? Who doesn't mm-hmm. need anybody else who always sort of drifts off into, into the sunset by themselves has been put out as some sort of ideal, especially with respect to men and their identity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't think it works. I think it's just a, a glorified myth because in the real world, uh, we need each other. Collaboration is important. It matters. Oh, yeah. And, you know, in this day and age, I especially learned that, you know, you talk about the University of YouTube and as simple as making a call, um, sending out an email, sending a tweet or anything, you'd be surprised. And I've learned this, you know, because I've only been doing this about a year and a half or two. And you realize there's a huge podcasting community out there and there's always someone willing to help you out. Yeah, I've, I've hit bugs with software or, you know, different tactics or like how to edit and stuff. And I'm still learning. And it's amazing if you just, you know, check your ego, as you said. And open up your curiosity and humility. Hey, I need help. And you're like, yeah, do this. Have you tried this? You should try to do this. I'm like, I did not think about that. It's, it's, it's something that people need to, you know, just re, re, uh, recalibrate in terms of, you know what? You don't have to go through this alone. You know? Yeah. And with all Everything. the, you know, people talk about the internet and all the trolls and all the negativity out there. But there, I think the great majority of people out there are kind, are generous, are helpful. And if that's the spirit from which, from which you come, uh, you can't help but draw those kind of people to you. Uh, I know you never want to think about, you know, who your favorite or guests are. You know, I'm asking the question because I go back to one of my, fa- I don't know why it was one of my favorite episodes, but Douglas Kirtland, the oh. episode 71 was an amazing one. I don't know what it was about that conversation because you even opened up the conversation by saying like, sometimes the photo gods get really generous. And there's that humility and sense of innocence that you bring to the interview. And there's that warmth and genuine sense of, you know, openness and sharing knowledge that Douglas brings to the conversation, which makes it for a terrific conversation. And sometimes, you know, even you walking away from an interview, are there actually people who are like, I would never think these people would be on my podcast. How does that feel? Yeah. I mean, there's so many people who I just, you know, my go-to, I don't really have a favorite interview, but there are interviews with people who I... I admired when I first discovered photography, like William Albert Allard, Marilyn Mark, Elliot Irwin, Dan Winters. I mean, Eli Reed. I mean, these are people whose books have been on my shelves forever. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting there talking with them, either in face to face or over my computer. And I could pinch myself that, you know, 
these people whose work I've sort of absorbed and learned from are talking to me and they're talking to me as a peer. And that for me is just like, I just get giddy. But even when I'm sitting down and interviewing someone who may not be a known name, I just so look forward to it. You know, I get somebody, and when I know I got an interview scheduled that day and they're going to come here to the office or I'm going to, you know, do a, a call over the computer, man, I get so excited. Oh God, I'm going to get a chance to talk shop with somebody whose work I really, really like. And that's all I need, man. And, and everything to work. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to hit record. Check yes. the audio. And check the backup. Always check have a the backup. backup. Always have a backup and work your way from there. Work your mm-hmm. way from there. We are, you learn along the way. You learn and again, you learn once and then you learn twice. If, now, if it happens a third time, it's sort of become your style. Like, okay, let's, can yeah. we adjust? Can we adjust? Um, I would like uh, to talk a little bit about, you know, because I'm also, because I'm going to come, always come at this from a learning experience and, you know, your, your legacies with what you've created with this thing, it's, it's amazing because 13 years, there's patience involved. There's dedication involved. There's resilience. There's again, always willing to learn. And I was wondering if you could just like, Again, tell people that you don't need to have all the answers, but don't stand still. Just keep showing up. Yeah. Yeah, because people, and I've done this to myself, so I'll just speak for myself. We sometimes think that we either, one, need permission from somebody else, which is never the case, and two, that we need the right equipment to do it, which is never the case. And... um yeah, I think those two things alone uh, keep a lot of people from from playing and, and, and experimenting. I mean, if you want to just interview somebody, you have a phone which has a camera, a microphone. You could just use that. There you go. It doesn't have to be, you know, yeah, it's not going to be as nice as having an expensive microphone and being in a studio. But what I've learned is it's the content that matters. People are very forgiving of the fact that it doesn't sound perfect. This isn't NPR radio where the standard for audio quality is really high. Mm-hmm. In podcasting, it's pretty forgiving. This doesn't mean that you can put out poor audio, you know, because I've, I've gotten off a podcast after 10, 15 seconds when the audio is just absolute crap. But if you take uh, some modicum of care in terms of just understanding what it is, and not just putting it out there for the sake of putting it out there, mm-hmm. um, you could probably produce something that could be of interest to somebody out there. And, and I think the mistake that a lot of people who are getting into sort of podcasting or any sort of thing now is they are seeing other people who have these huge audiences within a relatively short period of time, like all these YouTuber influencers. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these people go, I want to get on board on this and I want to have tens of thousands of followers so I can get free stuff and I can be invited to trips. And, and it's like, if that's why you're doing it, you're not going to be doing it for very long because you quickly realize that there is a lot of work and effort involved in doing this on a consistent basis. And that's why so many people, whether it's podcasting, whether it's photography, whether it's painting, whether it's learning to play a musical instrument or learning a language, why so many people just sort of peter out. A lot of times. Like, yeah, you have to really wonder, ask yourself, why am I learning this? The why is important. 
yeah, the why is important. You may not really know it, but you have to understand that at some point you're going to get pushback from the world, right? Especially with respect to our time. Mm-hmm. And then you have to go, even though time is tight, that you're, you, you have to be so committed to it that you're going to go, I'm going to make the time. I'm going to find the time. I'm not going to make an excuse to not, to not do this. And if you're on board on that, if you're patient enough, it will pay off. But if you if you're invested in anything for the wrong reasons, you know, it's hard to believe that it's really going to sustain itself to the point that you are eventually able to get the very things you're expecting to get. And if my experience is any indication, you just stay committed, and then things start happening in your life that you never could have thought of, that never you never anticipated would happen in the first place. I like to tell people uh, it's really it's really colorful, the example I like to use, but it's so funny. Um, I may not know where this ship is headed. There's still a lot of fog, but I'm enjoying the ride. You know, yeah. that's as that's says, it, man. You got to enjoy the ride. That's really what it's about. If you're enjoying the ride, regardless of anything else that's happening, that's important because there you're living life. There you go. It's a, it's a tremendous, a tremendous feeling. Um, I would like to talk because this really hit home uh, for me. Um, we have two very young children, uh, six and three, but our daughter, our youngest, um, you know, still having these little issues growing up. We've been observing her for the past year, you know, in terms of fidgety and, you know, absent mindedness and everything. And for some reason, leading up to this conversation, I reread your newsletter, your post you sent about, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, interview you had on your show and how you've been open about, you know, uh, your recent diagnosis with ADHD. And, you know, coming from your perspective as an adult living with the condition, if you had any, um, you know, particular tips or like, you know, how to properly approach a situation in regards to it. We haven't formally diagnosed her yet because we're still, you know, mm-hmm. having her, you know, doing the necessary observations and stuff. But um, I was wondering if you, you know, if you were just open about, you know, just coaching, you know, having particular observations or tips on how to, you know. Yeah, wow. Um, since my experience is been isolated to being an adult because I only got diagnosed a year, year and a half ago. So it's really hard for me to offer advice to people who, um, who have children who may or may not be, you know, living with ADHD. Um, but I think what you're doing is, is kind of spot on. It's kind of observing, um, getting educated about what, what it means to have ADHD. And, um, to practice patience. I think as a, as a, as a father, it's, it's making it okay that your daughter is having trouble maintaining her attention or any of the behaviors she's manifesting. Cause I think for me as a young kid, when that stuff started happening, I, because I didn't think I had anybody I could talk to about it. I just tried to hide it. I would just try to to not call attention to the fact that I was struggling, especially when it came to learning certain things or or or, or just doing certain things. I could have done with help if I'd asked, but I think that there's a certain degree of shame that when you see other people being able to do things so easily that you can't, that there's something wrong with you. And okay. so you feel like, okay, I gotta I can't let other people know that because it'll give them something to use against me and and i think that you know i can't call it a mistake because i was just a kid then it just made sense that that's what 
that that's what's there. Uh, but it was something that I carried well into adulthood that even as an adult, I was obsessed with trying to be perfect and never trying to make any mistakes and being reluctant to go up to somebody and say, I don't know how to do this. Could you help me? Feeling like I got to figure this out by myself. Um, and, and oftentimes I would, but sometimes it would be, I would create a, a situation where the struggle to do that was more difficult than it would have been to ask somebody, can you help me with this? Okay. And ever since the, um, ever since the diagnosis, as you mentioned, it's only been a year. Um, how's this, how has life changed? Is there, you know, are you feeling more comfortable? Are you feeling more open? Is there a certain, you know, weight lifted off your shoulder? You know, cause you mentioned in the newsletter, how, you know, you understood how certain patterns evolved, you know, just growing yeah. up. How has that, how's that changed for you? Well, that alone was a big relief because suddenly I understood why I was the way I was all of my life. Okay why certain things I could be laser focused on and other things I really struggled with being able to maintain and sufficient concentration to be able to do. And, and, and basically I, I, I learned that it wasn't my fault because I think I'd been leading my life up to that point feeling when I couldn't do those things or when I struggled to do those things, that there was something wrong with me. Okay. And I would beat myself up for it. Because there were so many times when the things I needed to do were so simple, but I couldn't manage to do it. And it was like, what's wrong with me? You know, this person here can do it and it's nothing. And yet here I am, you know, struggling with doing, with doing this thing and I can't. And I feel like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And I would just beat myself up. And once I understood what was happening, it was like, oh, okay, that's what it is. And it was a huge burden off my shoulders. It was at that point, anytime those things came up again, it was like, oh, okay, that's what it is. And it just, just, just lifted so much emotional weight off of my shoulders to recognize, oh, that's what's going on. And as a result of talking to other friends who have ADHD, um, I was able to discover that I wasn't alone and that this experience was very, you know, very common. And, you know, and, I utilize a variety of different resources. I do use medication in order to uh, temper that part of it, but I think it's not just the medication. It's, it's the change of perception. It's been different choices that I make when those moments and those feelings come along. All of that in combination have made negotiating my life a lot, a lot easier. It doesn't completely go away, mm-hmm. but having an understanding of why it is and what choices you can take when those those circumstances arise in my life make negotiating my life so much easier but i think the biggest thing is just the fact that it's not it's not that i'm faulty it's not that i'm defective it's not that i'm less than right i think i carry that uh, that carry that for so much of my life um but for the most part a lot of people didn't see it they would just see that looks like he's able to function fairly well but Inside, I was constantly wrestling with this on a day-to-day basis, and I don't have to do that anymore. Wow. See, it's a beautiful thing. When we try to understand, not just criticize uh, the dialogue that we have within ourselves and in regards to others, again, with you know the concept of people surrounding us, as you mentioned, probably growing up, everybody's saying, oh, that's just 
him being a kid or like he's just fidgety or he can't sit still or there's a lot of that going on and you talk about the perception whether from other people or towards ourselves that has a lot of weight and you know we need to have those important conversations with the people that we care about and with ourselves and try to build from there and uh, it's a beautiful thing uh, to know that you know you're you're dealing with it in a positive spin and uh, it's only gotten better from there so you know i'm really happy that uh, you know it's it's going along well so you know that's one thing i want to get out there um what else did i want to ask you about in terms of just for the people out there who still are dealing with that you know let's call it a little bit of confusion um, because a lot of people that listen uh, to these recordings are always about, and again, it's so wild when you get DMs of people saying like, oh yeah, I love your work. It's like, okay, I thank you. But I get a lot of comments regarding to a lot of people don't know what they want in terms of there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of, you know, cloudiness in regards to, am I doing the right thing? Am I, what is my purpose? What is my why? I know it's a really big philosophical question, but from your own perspective, how can we get better at defining our why? I think that you just have to be willing to try different things. Because I think that, especially as adults, it's a little more difficult to find that thing that you feel you're kind of meant to do. As kids, we're subject to a lot, or we used to be, subjected to a variety of different things. Because school was, was... under the best circumstances designed to give you a broad sense of, of the different things that are out there, math, sciences, the arts, music, etc. As an adult, you are kind of, um, your exp- exposure to such things becomes more and more limited, especially as you get a job, you have kids and suddenly, you know, the variety of, of, of potential of possibilities becomes very restricted. So it really becomes uh, a, an issue of going, well, what kind of interests me? And I think probably it's kind of the easiest way I would think is to kind of go back to when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. What, what excited you when you were a kid? Was it like drawing on, on pieces of paper? Was it athletics? Was it listening to music? Because I think whatever whatever thing sort of fascinated you as a child is probably the first place you should probably go back to rather than trying to think, okay, what can I do with my life now? Because mm-hmm. um, I think that as kids, unfortunately, a lot of us at some point have an interest in something and it gets dampened by, by something. Someone saying something that, that, uh, demeans or diminishes what you're interested in um, the point of comparison of saying, Hey, you're not as good with that person. So why are you doing it at all? I have a friend who was, uh, uh, who was really interested in drawing and some teacher during a parent teacher's conference criticized his drawing. And I can't remember exactly how they criticized it, but he, he heard that and he, he didn't draw again for decades. And it was only in like in his fifties that he returned to it. Because that, that criticism and the fact that his parents didn't stand up for him really impacted him. So I think that, not that every circumstance is that harsh, but I, I think that 
as kids, we kind of gravitate to the things that excite us without having to think about it. And I think returning to that is probably a good starting point if you're if you're thinking, oh, what 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 do I want? What do I want to practice in in my adult life that provides me a sense of satisfaction, uh, gives me an experience of creativity? I, I think it's the smart thing is probably to go back. Just go back to the source. Go back to the basics. Yeah. What excites you? What excites you? And uh, we can build from there. Just look, you know, peel out, peel away the layers, and okay, go back. Okay, to as simple and as whimsical as it co- possibly could be. Just okay. What did you get excited about when you were a kid? Mm-hmm. That's. Um, I didn't think about it like that. Because again, I'm learning every time I have these conversations. So you yeah. really put me for a pause there. Wow. Oh wow. Um, I'm not going to keep you too long. I just want to end off with another with one last question. Um, where where is the candid frame headed? What again? Thirteen plus years and still pushing through. Yeah, I get asked that question now that it's almost 500 episodes, and I go, I have no idea. Just like I didn't have any idea of back in 2006, I really have no idea going forward. I have some ideas of what things I'd like to do based on what I do with the show. Um, and I'm actually going to try and sit down with someone in the next couple of weeks can kind of discuss that. Um, but I suspect that, that I'll keep doing this until I can't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I just hope that I can keep my voice and my hearing. <laughs> you know? Cause that would, that would make interviewing people very difficult, but you know, I've seen people like, you know, like Dick Cavett, you know, and, and, you know, people who have been doing this for a very, very long time. Studs Terkel, who's my personal hero. Um, uh, he was doing it until probably final years of his life in terms of sitting down there with a tape recorder and interviewing people. Wow. I like having conversations with people and I could see myself just doing this for a long time. Ideally, I, ideally I would like to create the circumstances where all I have to do is do the interviewing and the research, mm-hmm. you know, where I don't have to, do all the things in terms of uploading the blog post and pulling all the material to do the research. I would just love to have enough money where I can hire people and say, I'm going to interview this person, get me all the research material so I can just sit down in my chair, study it over several days and then go in and record the interview. And it happen, everything happen. else is taken care of. Taken care of that for me would be just like ideal. Cause right now when it's, you know, I got a job, I got a family, I got, you know, so many things that I'm, I'm I'm trying to do that it makes time to sit down and research. Like every time I have somebody with a book, I try to read through the whole book. Oh wow! And that sometimes is just like that's speed that's... reading. You know, I got I got this book here for a person I'm interviewing soon. Oh, wow! Okay. And look look at how thick that thing is. It's uh, it's a volume. Happy. And I'm not even halfway through. And I got to interview them next weekend. <laughs> so it's just like, okay, okay. Okay, I take care of everything else I get done. Because I think, I think it's, it's important when I'm interviewing, especially someone who's, who's written a book, to have a conversation about the book. And Obviously. usually you can get some really good insights into them and to the work as a result of reading it. And um, I know that there are some people who interview people who have not read the books. And I just go, why guests, would you do guests, that? And the guests know it. You know, it comes across. Know it. 
you know, I'm not going to come, I'm not going to come in and go, Oh, tell me about what your book's about. It's like, hell, I should know what the book is about. I shouldn't I should have to waste, waste that person's time in having them describe it. You're the guest. I should yeah. know. So in, for, in terms of future, I'll keep doing it, but I would like the means to be able to sort of uh, delegate some of the other things that I would rather not do so I can dedicate more to, you know, the stuff that really ends up making a difference on the actual episodes. For what it's worth, you can definitely know that all this work that you've put in has impacted more than a few individuals, more than a few souls, whether it's from your local area, across the country, or across the world, all the way up to Kanzakiba, Canada. Ibarian X, I cannot thank you enough for this amazing, humbling, and honorable opportunity to have you on the receiving end of the Awaken the Awesome podcast. I promise that I would not keep you because, again, I like to keep my promises. But, again, it's a very emotional thing for me because, first of all, it proves me that I'm not crazy. Just showing <laughs> people the manifestation of what can happen when you stay true and you run with a stupid idea. I call it stupid, but, you know, just run with an idea, guys, and realize that, again, your personal heroes are human beings just like you. Put in the work, and uh, you never know. You never know the wonderful opportunities that come come out out of, you know, just the randomness of the universe. So very next, thank you so much for this amazing time. Uh, running tradition on the podcast, just leaving off the floor to the guest, a kind word, a thought, a quote, a sonnet, whatever, a music quote, just inspiring people to, you know, just level up and take, you know, one next step to, you know, waking up tomorrow towards the next level. What can we leave the listeners with? Uh, try something new this weekend. That's it. That's it. That's it. We need to change change our habits. Try something new. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. Um, just again, shameless plugging. Where can the listeners connect with you over the interwebs? Uh, for the show, they can go to thecandidframe.com. There I have some work, uh, my photographic work, uh, links to my books, but more importantly, they can find the Candid Frame, all the episodes there. We do have an app. So if you want to download and listen all the way back to episode one, uh, whether it's an Android or Apple, you can listen to it that way. You can also listen to it by streaming it off the website or going to your podcaster app of choice, whether it's Spotify or uh, Apple, you know, Apple podcast app. And then um, as well, I'm on Instagram. So if you want to keep up with my the work that I'm producing on a regular basis as a photographer, you just go at me by X, which is at, at symbol I B A R I O N E X. There you go. Guys, definitely check it out. And not just uh, not just a wonderful radio voice, but terrific, terrific interviews leading up to almost 500 interviews now. Guys, you definitely should check out the Candid Frame podcast. Again, available on all your preferred podcasting platforms. Definitely, definitely, definitely show some love, show some support because it is well-deserved. Very next, thank you so much for your time. Guys, I am, once again, your host, Olivier Day from Kanzak, Quebec, Canada. Thank you so much for your love and support towards the Awake and the Awesome podcast. Be safe, stay sane, stay wonderful, stay stay awesome. Have a terrific, terrific day, guys. Talk to you soon. This has been another episode of the Awaken the Awesome podcast. We do love to get your feedback, so please drop us a line. Our email address, awakentheawesome at gmail.com. Also, if you haven't already, please hop on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, give us a rating, and leave us a review. We always do appreciate your support, and thank you for listening. Stay awesome.